There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. If I would answer the wrong cannoli question, it would have been lights out to Captain Frank. If you play it cool, they might even let you in on that hot color those kings are craving, which has been orange for the last 35 years or so. My knee-jerk initial gut reaction, it's discomfort, it's distrust, it's fear. Well, I gotta learn how to tie a bimini, but you can't even tie a clinch knot, you know? Good morning, Degenerate Anglers. Welcome to Bent, the fishing podcast that hates this song but agrees with the sentiment. I'm Joe Cermelli. I'm Miles Nolte, and I hate the f-ing Eagles, man. Out of my head. Out of That's a good one. So do I. Uh, And before you can even ask, right, I'm just going to tell you that the theme of this show um, is a celebration of right coast fishing and that there's nothing you can do about it, man. Sorry. That's what it is. (laughs) That's the theme of like half our shows. No, it isn't. Yes. That's (laughs) like, oh, what what is it this week? Oh, we're going to celebrate the East Coast again. Like, when do I get to do a celebration of Montana fishing? When does that happen? Never, never. You know why? Because there are already like 800,000 articles, like 120,000 books, 40 bazillion YouTube videos, 5 million short films, and like a Hollywood movie about that. Like, I I would say it's been covered. Um, and, Mm. And look, dude, nobody cares about your Western trout anymore. Okay. They're all dying. They're all dying of heat exhaustion and COVID. (laughs) Oh. Yeah. yeah, I'm right. In like 10 yeah. years, Montana will be a barren wasteland of just like common carp and gold eye. But Ooh. here, Ooh. here out here on, on, on the East Coast, uh, we will still have stripers and snakeheads and shad and mm, bowfin and and bass and catfish, mahi. We have them, pickerel, we have pike, tog, um, and even a few trout when we get bored. 
So that was you know. that was. Are you done? Uh yeah, I can be. I just think of us like we're like the like the like in Waterworld, like the one piece of land that'll be left out here. That was all the good first things. of all. That was low blow. <laughs> if I'm allowed to talk now, because it's not funny. <laughs> Your bleak fork. Like, it's true. Your whole bleak forecast about the cold water fisheries in the state. It's sad. It's all sad. Mm-hmm. Like you're making jokes about our pain. Thank you very much. I've kind of and- made a career out of that. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> It sucks, man. Yeah. Like, let's all have a good laugh at the fact that all the fish are dying. I, I'm honestly just glad I'm not guiding anymore. That's true. That's my one true silver lining, whatever you want to call it. I'm, I now have the luxury of choosing not to fish without going broke and not everybody can do that. And that just sucks, but I'm going to step in now in defense of my adopted home because I think you're selling the treasure stage short first. Number one, you, you made this point without even meaning to. Goldeye are badass. Like, mm-hmm. you made a joke like, oh, common carp and Goldeye. <laughs> but Goldeye are sweet, sweet fish, and I'm going to do a fin clips on them very soon because I'm willing to bet at least 75% of our audience has never even heard of a Goldeye. Mm, so thank probably. you for reminding me. You weren't trying to do me a favor, but you did. Second, Montana has some of the best overlooked lake fishing in the country, but because of all that, oversaturated trout media you mentioned nobody comes here for anything but the non-native trout so i'll tell you what come do a b-side with me Hmm. we will fish montana without ever seeing a trout or picking up a fly rod that's Hmm. what we'll do all right Hmm. in fact to add on to that i think it would make a fantastic opportunity for you to try out what you've been threatening to use but not actually using the coalition swim baits from 13 fishing Hmm. which one the Banff, the Dean, or the Gill? The Banff in golden retriever color <laughs> for exactly that one because it looks enough like a Cisco, the big pike and smallmouth on a certain lake out here, absolutely destroy it. These baits, because I, I know you don't know yet, but they fish very similar to certain other molded swim baits that will run nearly 100 bucks each, mm-hmm. but you can get a coalition swim bait for less than 20 mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. also know I already told you this, but... I think that the shad-eating stripers on your local rivers will hammer these things. I think that they are going to be like extremely effective over there. Next spring, you got to set aside. I know you love your like fast, aggressive plugging. I know it works. I do. Yeah. But I'm telling you, you got to try some slower swim baits and see what happens because it could be a lot of fun. Well, I got some news for you, big shooter. I already have some of these. <laughs> Okay, but I just got them like midsummer, so I, I haven't really gotten to chuck them yet. Um, but I don't have to wait for spring. I don't have to wait for spring. They'll they'll work in the spring. Wait, is that wait, 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 fall. Is, isn't that when the shad run though? Is is in the spring? That's when well, that's when the through? shad run the river. That's river stripers. But you know, we have that whole awesome coastal migration that happens twice <laughs> a year too. So I've, I've, you know, maybe I heard about that somewhere. I don't know. How are the coastal migrations in Montana? Uh, so, <laughs> so, so all those coalitions, uh, they'll be playing in salt here with me this fall. Uh, also, thank you for bringing this back to the theme, which is my side of the country. Because hmm. uh, look, I mean, I fished in Alaska, Florida, Montana, Idaho, Wyoming, Colorado, Costa Rica, uh, even Brazil that one time. And and while I've had a fantastic time in most of those places, and feel just truly blessed and really fortunate. I've never taken my travels for granted. Um, you know, I, I, I still can't believe I, I've experienced so many of those fisheries. All that said, though, I will never, ever, ever move away from the East Coast of the U.S. I won't do it. What? Here's what I don't get. 
Why are you always so defensive about it? Like, no one's shitting on your zone. You've been being way more defensive in this podcast so far. I'm cool, calm, and collected. You're the one going off. No, but like it's a theme. You got like this parochial sensitivity, and and I don't know where it comes from. Like I haven't said a single derogatory word about your fisheries. I don't think ever on this show, right? <laughs> I, so it, it it can't be me. Is it Phil? Are you are you defending yourself against Phil? Hmm. Oh, I heard my name, so I'm guessing I'm supposed to say something here. But um, I don't actually listen to much of what you guys say. Uh, I have a running tally, a list of synonyms and terms you guys use for uh, catching fish. Like I've got hammering, whacking, bonking, Augustus glooping, and that's pretty much all I've retained. Honestly, I find that I can just edit out all of your f***s and screw-ups while multitasking and actually get something useful done. Uh, for example, I just listed my 2004 Pokemon EX holographic fire red and leaf green Articuno on eBay, and uh, man... I'm just going to sit here and watch those bids stack up you know, to the moon, as they say, but uh, not Bitcoin, just real money that I can actually use. See, Phil doesn't even care enough to know what we're talking about. <laughs> he has no idea what we're saying. He's, he's selling things on eBay. I don't know what he's doing. To quote my favorite movie. Do you really believe that there's some stored up conflict that exists between us? There is no us. We don't exist. So who do you want to hit, man? It's not me. See, I'm going to tell you, though, why you don't understand where I'm tell coming me, from, why you can't me. relate. Because no one shits on the places you've lived. No one makes jokes about Hawaii. That's still like a mecca. I've never been to friggin' Hawaii, right? I've never fished in Hawaii. That's like some holy grail stuff. Nobody makes fun of Montana, calling it like the armpit of the nation. Right, so everybody well, I mean, wants you, to. You, you everybody did wants make to be. fun of Montana just a few I made ago. fun of Montana, but nobody's saying like, "Man, you want to talk about a shithole? Let's go to Bozeman. <laughs> like it's beautiful there. It's clean Fair. air, clean Fair. living, beautiful mountains." So yeah, like I might be a little sensitive. Um, I, I what I really want is I just want all the kids growing up in Jersey, Pennsylvania, Massachusetts. What, wait, what, what about Delaware? Oh no, man. Delaware. Uh, but I want everyone else who lives in places that aren't fishing famous to feel proud and lucky and to know that like they don't have to travel a gazillion miles or move away from their families to be serious anglers. Like we, you know, we have a we actually have a whole new season of Das Boat coming out in just a few weeks that will further spread that very message. Um, yes. and one of the main characters of that new season, which we've hinted at already here on Bent, uh, is a guy who makes a perfect ambassador for East Coast Fishing, my good friend, Captain Frank Crescitelli, who also happens to be the first guest on today's show. He's in the trivia hot seat. you got to be highly skilled for these f***ing shows. You understand that? Yes, I do understand. Are you well-versed there? Are you very smart man? Yes, I am. All right. Playing trivia today, our good friend, Captain Frank Crescitelli. Frank, what's going on, man? How are you? Hey, guys. How you doing? Nobody can see you but us, and you look cautiously nervous. There's nothing to be nervous. Yeah. So you know, there's nothing at stake in our you, trivia. You win nothing. You win nothing. You lose nothing except maybe some street yep. cred or something like With that. Dignity. Dig yeah, but street cred is important because uh, so everybody knows. So you uh, you fish around New York City. You're from Staten Island. You're a New York right. bite kind of guy. You're in a New York New York state of mind when you're fishing most of the time. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Which is important because I try to always craft questions for trivia, like really tailor them to the guest 
And I got to tell you, I'm not that worried about you losing dignity, at least on the first question. <laughs> because I think you're like going to get it but, it. but I think you're going to get it. But everybody will understand why I think this is such a great question for the Bent program. <laughs> um, okay. So we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna stick with the New York theme for your question. For the okay. record, Frank, I don't know. Joe's is running this segment. Yeah, Miles has no idea what, what I'm going to ask coming either. So, so we're in this... So this is like Saturday Night Live, the uh, the uh, news section there, right? You don't know what jokes the other guy wrote or whatever. We are, um, we are just uh, as professional and hilarious as Saturday Night Live, yes. <laughs> All right. The good Saturday Night Live from the 90s, not whatever the hell they're they're doing now. I don't even know who's on that anymore. Anyway, okay. So let's, let's play some trivia. Here's where we're going to start. Here's your first question. Are you ready, Frank? I am ready. I have no buzzer or anything. So. No buzzer. No buzzer. Our, right. uh, we'll take care of that later. Phil, our audio engineer, will put a buzzer in for you. Don't worry. <laughs> okay. All right. Here's question number one. Capital Tackle in New York City lays claim to being the oldest tackle shop in America. It was first opened in 1897 and focused mostly on cutlery, but over time grew into a thriving fishing tackle retailer. During its 124-year history, Capital has changed location several times. In 1964, the owners relocated the shop to the space directly under which of the following iconic New York City buildings. Before I give you the choices, can you answer that without multiple choice? No. Really? Oh, Frank. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. All right. All right. Here we go. So here's yeah, your choices. I never, so the funny thing about people from Staten Island, you didn't go to New York City a lot. <laughs> okay. But you know of Capital you know? Tackle. So here's your choice. I certainly know Capital. Yep. So was it under A, the Flatiron Building, B, the Hotel Chelsea, C, the Woolworth Building, or D, One Penn Center? Hmm. So I know they used to be in Chelsea at one point, like 23rd or something. I, I will add, this ne isn't necessarily their current location. This is at right. one point right. they were, no, they they just were moved under. Again too, I think. Right. I'm uh, uh, going with Woolworths. The Woolworth building, C, that is incorrect. Oh. The answer, the answer is B. It was located underneath the Hotel Chelsea. Really? Um, and for yes, and for those of you unaware, right? That is rife with music history. Miles, I know you know the Chelsea. Oh yeah. Right? So G Jim Morrison, Bob Dylan, Pink Floyd. Yeah. They all did extended stays there. It's also where Sid Vicious of the Sex Pistols supposedly <laughs> murdered his girlfriend Nancy Spungen. Sid um, and Nancy. Yeah, Sid and Nancy. Movie. The movie. That's where it was set. Anyway, uh, it is a it is a killer shop. I've been there though, not in the Chelsea location because they moved again in 2006. Um, but it's so weird to be in Manhattan looking at this massive selection of everything, every tuna plug, every bass lord, yeah, everything, right. every, the latest and greatest right there. And um, I actually once read this great article about it, about all the non-fishing weirdos that come in there and the things that they buy because they cater to all kinds of clients. Oh, right. So, man, I know, I know, I know that the Staten Island crowd doesn't play in Manhattan that much, but I, for some reason, I figured I, I, yeah, he gave I you, you, know he gave you I mean, too much only, credit. Yeah, man. Oh, you see, now <laughs> I'm starting off with one strap. We're off to a very bad start. <laughs> well, hopefully, this one will be a little bit better. Um, okay. because this one, this one's about cannolis. So the uh -oh. last time I hung out with you, <laughs> when we when we parted ways, we parted on a cannoli. You presented a That's box right. of, of cannolis from Staten Island. Um, that had a really pretty baker string on it, which you cut open with a stiletto. Like you just popped out a switchblade <laughs> to cut the twine off the cannolis, which was so fitting. 
And I got to say, I planned, by the way, I know, but it, it should have been. Um, but I'll tell you what, man, like driving home with that, cano- I was driving down Long Beach Island, eating a cannoli. It was the best cannoli I've ever had in my entire life. Oh, so, that's, that's what we're going for. You're, awesome. You're Italian, you know, your cannoli. So let's, let's do a little cannoli <laughs> trivia. Cause why not? All right. Okay. I got a lot of good cannoli stories, by the way. <laughs> oh, really? Bloody. I'm interested in those. Oh, we'll yeah. save those for another show, though. All so right. here's your question. The cannoli comes from Sicily. Everyone agrees on that. And they estimated emerged between 827 and 1091. But historians say the exact origin of the of the dessert is up for debate. Two theories have emerged as the most likely scenario. So I'm going to give you three options for the origin of the cannoli. You have to tell me which of these three is made up. One of these okay. is fake. So A, during the Arabic rule of the island of Sicily, concubines in the Arab prince's harem would prepare lavish meals, which included cylinder-shaped pastries filled with ricotta, almonds, and honey. Uh, Second option, cannolis were invented by field hands that worked the olive groves and needed a meal that was easy to carry, and they didn't get sweet until later. They started out as pastry filled with ricotta and whatever protein, like fish or mutton, was available. Or B, nuns invented the cannoli in a Sicilian convent when they filled pastry shells with ricotta sugar and chocolate and almonds for carnival, a celebration similar to Mardi Gras, just before Lent. One of those is not a proposed origin of the cannoli. Okay, I'm going to go with the the olives with the uh, you know the that had other proteins in there. That's know, correct. But, That's the fake answer. Yeah. Okay. That is the fake All answer. Right. So do you don't know anything ding, about ding. tackle in Manhattan, but the man I'm knows his cannolis. You see that? I'm even. Oh man, being down too would have been a, a tremendous amount of pressure. Really. Well, what's what's the quote? Uh, leave the gun, take the cannoli. Yeah, that's right. You took the cannoli. And left the tackle. If I would answer the wrong cannoli question, it would have been lights out for Captain Frank. You and Frank should do a cannoli tour of (laughs) New York. I would watch that. And we do, like, with Meat Eater, we do food shows, right? Food shows are popular. People like food shows. Could Could we do one? Could we get away with that? First of all, I worked in New York for 10 years, and now, especially with the fact that it's like a crime-filled, barren wasteland post-COVID, that's, I'm not going to New York for cannolis. It'd have to be a life-or-death situation to go into Manhattan right now. Uh, but also, I don't think that would work at all, because per Vice and several other media outlets, uh, I don't think you can, you can talk about cooking or eating on TV unless you have uh, tattoo sleeves, mm. which I don't. No, you, know you what don't. I mean? You don't. Um, you gotta get. But the maybe sleeve. you could get the sleeves going, or maybe maybe your kids could paint them on for you, like little like temporary ones, and you could. Do My kids love some show. temporary tattoos. They're covered in them. It's ridiculous. Uh, but I'll, look, I'll at least give you this much. Like there are really only two things I'm good at in my life. That's fishing and eating. So maybe mm. you never know. Uh, I also believe I'm pretty good at beating your ass in the weekly internet search competition we like to call Fish News. Fish News. That escalated quickly. Kicking off fish news this week, I'm giving a shout out to Costa Sunglasses. Woot. Yeah. Costa does occasionally run ads on our show, but what, what I'm what I'm gonna say right now has absolutely nothing to do with any sponsorship or partnership or advertising. They are not paying me to influence you in any way. I know I know we live in a strange world of advertorial prostitution, but that's not what this is about. I, I really just want to give them credit. For an idea and a product that I, I, th- I think is exceptional. So Costa partnered with a company called Boreo, who collects discarded nets 
from subsistence fishing communities in South America and then recycles them into quality raw plastics. Discarded fishing nets are one of, if not the biggest, contributor to ocean plastic pollution. So far, Boreo has collected about 5.5 million pounds of discarded plastic nets. Damn. Costa, right? Costa yeah. is using some of that plastic to make sunglasses. They got their Untangled series, which are all made from those nets. And they actually started doing this a few years ago, and I loved yep. the idea. But the only styles they had were those like flat square frames. Yeah, I remember when and, this, this was a big drop yeah. at ICAST that year. And it you're was. Right. It was a cool idea, but I'm like, you need more styles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I'm not wearing that. because yeah. I, I mean, maybe that works for the fashion-conscious crowd, but that's not me. I don't, I don't wear anything but wraparounds, mm-hmm. basically, ever, because I, I want to actually block the sun for one, and two, I want to stop hooks from flying into my eye holes. Well, Costa just released a series of wraparound frames made from the Boreo recycled nets, and they're fantastic. Yeah, they're, I, they're I, cool I have glasses. A pair. Yep. They're really, they're excellent, right? Costa lenses are top of the line, but the truth is, like, most high-end sunglasses these days have quality lenses. Mm-hmm. They're... I'm Agreed. not I'm not going to get into which one is slightly better than the other. There are a lot of good lenses out there, but the fact that Costa's now selling their lenses in performance frames made from discarded fishing nets, to me that that's another level. Like I I think they're great. So if you're in the market for a pair of shades, I recommend checking those out. Joe, you got anything this week? No, I'll just add to that that uh, I'm, I, I have not gotten a pair for myself yet, but just looking at them compared to the old style, much more excited about these. I, I didn't dislike the old ones, but I'm like, these are like yacht wear more so yeah. than fishing. You know what I'm saying? I wouldn't wear them. Um, other shout outs. The only thing I, well, the only thing I'll say, just, just so that everybody understands that we are listening to you, even if we don't always respond, thanks to the <laughs> 10 million people who sent me the link to um, Rusty Van Ranch on Instagram. They were like, you think that Nick Bailey dude tricked out his tuggy? This dude put like a friggin' jet ski motor in his, and he's ripping like 50 <laughs> miles an hour. So now I'm touring because like, do I send my son's tuggy to Nick or Rusty Van Ranch? I haven't decided yet. <laughs> I mean, the, the price is going to matter. Uh, but but thank you. Received. Okay. Got it. Tuggies. The tu- People have been asking us to make like a bent tuggy shirt. And I'm like, well, we haven't even made a bent bent shirt yet. That's a whole other story. But like, yeah, a... a, a it maybe so just maybe tuggies inundated that's all i got nothing else this week all right well <laughs> quick reminder this is a competition joe and i have no idea what stories the others bring to the table and at the end our miraculously resurrected oh, audio engineer thank Phil, god thank god who's, re- who's recovering <laughs> nicely in case you're worried he's recovering nicely from his little boating incident and has- yeah, they, they gave him 300 cc's of brisk iced tea and now he's fine <laughs> <laughs> that's the best part yeah. of the whole thing he almost has complete use of three toes. It's it's really coming together. Uh, at the end of this, he's going to choose a winner. I am up first this week, and I've got a new invasive fish species to report in Texas. Ooh, lay it on me. Earlier this summer, the first silver carp was confirmed in Choctaw Creek, a tributary of the Red River, which is itself a tributary of the Mississippi River. Silver, black, and big head carp have been making their way up the Mississippi for years, so it's no surprise that they found their way up to Texas. Uh, wildlife officials have been anticipating this for quite some time. Big head carp were confirmed in the Red River a couple years ago. By now, most, if not all of you, know why these fish are a problem. They're prolific, 
fast-growing and nearly impossible to get rid of, and they disrupt ecosystems by consuming huge quantities of plankton, algae, and microinvertebrates, which are the base of any water body's food chain. Native bait fish like shad and juvenile sportfish like bass depend on the same food source. So yep. we, know it's, we know it's a problem. Choctaw Creek dumps into the Red River just 15 miles downstream of Denison Dam. Denison is a non-navigable dam meaning that no infrastructure exists for boat or fish passage upstream. And, and while usually these kinds of dams are detrimental to native fishes, in this particular case, this is like the yeah, bulwark. This yeah. is what's stopping them yep. from getting into Lake Texoma and potentially harming the valuable recreational fishery there. Managers are worried, however, that anglers might inadvertently transport carp into the lake. Netting bait below the dam is super popular, like right in the tail race. And juvenile carp are difficult to distinguish from other yeah. bait fish because they all look like little and, and silver Texoma, fish. Texoma's big time striper lake. So you know them boys exactly. are getting their liveys for them Texoma stripers. Exactly. Ooh, problematic maybe. Got so it. So officials are worried that it's just like a matter of time before someone throws a cast net and ends up with a carp that they put on for bait and take it up to the stripers and then yep. boom, they're there. But so far, no carp found in Lake Texoma. Couple weeks ago, the Dallas Observer published a lengthy profile on Stephen Banizak, a 30-year-old Plano, Texas native who recently set out on a mission to find silver carp in Texas waters. And he succeeded, arrowing the 21-pounder in Choctaw Creek and turning it into Texas parks and wildlife. In the article, Banizak is heralded as a pioneering outdoorsman on a quest to save Texas's native fisheries from invasive carp. Hmm. But after reading the article... I, I got to say, I think, I think this is more about business and profit than protecting fisheries. So he's petitioning Texas Parks and Wildlife to recognize his silver carp as a state record catch. Ugh. He told the observer, when I knew these fish were around, I realized there's no record for them. So if I get one, that's automatically the record. Banizak owns and operates Tightline's guide service which offers catfish and striper charters on Lake Texoma, as well as bow fishing trips for carp, gar, and buffalo. He was quoted as saying, if you don't want these fish in there, you need people that are going to fish for them, particularly bow fishermen. If you want to give them a reason to go spend their time and hard-earned money just to go after these fish, and you do that with a record system, if you don't give them a record, fishermen are not going to be out looking for them. I personally hmm. am not convinced that creating a state record no. will incentivize bow fishers not at to all. target these fish on the Red River. But record record carp holder looks good on his website. And that's exactly where I'm going, right? <laughs> Doing so would give Banzac the state record, which he could then use to promote his business, just like you're saying. And it seems like he's the only person running bow fishing trips for big head and silver carp on the Red River right now. So yeah, that helps him a lot. The publicity might get more people to start targeting those fish, which could keep the population in check to some extent. But bow fishing has never stopped an invasive species from spreading in a new ecosystem. Nope. It's never happened. Nope. Additionally, if we create a profitable industry around taking people bow fishing for carp here, we actually incentivize keeping carp around. Mm -hmm. And if you need an example of what I'm talking about, just look at what's going on with invasive hogs in Texas right now. Yes. Because it's a very similar situation. I'm not opposed to bow fishing for carp, okay? 
Can I say Me that either. again? Yeah, yeah. Not opposed. Me either. I think invasive carp are what bow fishers should be targeting. But I think either either Banizak is being disingenuous here, and I don't know the guy, I'm not sure, or the Dallas Observer wrote a completely overblown story to get clicks. It's maybe a combination of the two. I don't know. But what I do know is this is not about protecting native fish. Banizak told the Observer, quote, Lake Texoma's a big striper lake. That's a big worry. The silver carp hitting Lake Texoma, it's going to cut the shad population down so it won't be able to sustain the striper population that it has, and that's big business gone right here. Stripers are big business. They bring in an estimated $25 million to the local economy, benefiting his guide service and many other businesses in the area, but they are not native fish. I'm not, I'm not dogging Banzac. I'm really not. I'm not dogging him or anyone else for bow fishing for carp or for building businesses around bow fishing for carp or for taking people out striper fishing. I support all those things. I hope the guy is wildly successful in his endeavors, but I do take issue with cloaking all of this in a narrative of, quote, the survival of native wildlife, as the article claims, because that's just not what this is about. And when we slap conservation labels on fishing and hunting efforts like this one, we undermine the real credible ones. And that's that's my main issue with this. That's where I, I, I find a problem in what's going on. I mean, I feel the same way, man. If you see a, a way to make your business more money because these things are there, good, go for it. Great. I mean, promote, yeah, promote the bow fishing charters. Do you know? Go whack them and stack them, whatever you got to do. But, um, yeah, it's one of those funny little twists, right? How we're all about saving native fish, but then you're right. Those stripers aren't native Not either. native. And isn't that the problem with so many arguments around so many invasive things? It's like, well, these are invasive. They're going to take away this. I'm like, but the, this isn't native either. And like that's right. been like... The root of all, I mean, that's everything. Snakeheads, same deal. These guys, too, like, ah, oh, we shot 20 last night. We're getting rid of them. No, you're not. Like, all the bow fishing efforts in the world, that's great. Go out there, shoot them. That, it's been 20 years. That's not getting rid of them. But same thing. Like, how, how many of these invasives are we killing to save natives that aren't natives? So, um, And it I, undermines your whole argument when you start going down that road. Exactly. You can say, these are new, and we want to stop them, and they're a problem. We don't want to upset what we've got going. Great. But yeah. to pretend this is all about saving native fishes, that's just not, that's just a lie. Well, yeah, like, you know what that might save? Some alligator gar. But that's not where you make yeah. your money. You make it on stripers. That's a native right. fish, though, right there. Yeah. So exactly. it's funny. And, dude, I got to tell you what. Sometimes, maybe we'll see if it lasts this whole this whole episode, but sometimes we just, like, get really in sync. And the parallels between this story and my first story are... Are just it's it's like cosmic. Uh, yours is about silver carp. Mine's going to be about uh, silver kings. Okay, mm. so I'm taking a I'm taking a page from your book and and sort of creating a news item out of something that's not officially news, but it's generating enough chatter in my area that I think it's worth talking about. And ironically, like I said, it has to do with tarpon. So this is somewhat piggybacking off of your uh, tarpon mishandling story about Josh Jorgensen, otherwise yep. known as Black Tip H. So New Jersey is certainly in no way, shape, or form considered a tarpon state. Yet folklore has existed here for at least my entire life, as long as I can remember, that from time to time, some poons straggle this far north, in the summertime in particular. And as I always understood it, many, many decades ago, I mean, talking like 
early 1900s, 20s, like way, way back, right? It was it was actually fairly relatively common to see some in the summer. Um, and it's gotten much less so over the years. But to this very day, in New Jersey's own Delaware Bay, there is a cove called Tarpon Cove and a gut called Tarpon Gut. And they were named that for a reason, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and when I was a little kid, I even remember you'd hear rumors about a few tarpon being landed here or there by surf anglers. I remember in Brigantine, there was a rumor. Um, but regardless, there aren't really, you know, photos flying around, you know, like it's, it's just, it's, it's mostly chatter. Um, and the whole idea of this Jersey tarpon thing lives in that sort of gray area between, I guess, like loose historical record and pure myth, right? Like it's like bouncing around in there somewhere. Well, in the last week of July, Fisherman's Headquarters, which is a great tackle shop on Long Beach Island, posted a series of photos of Jake Klein with what I'd say is a 50, 60-pound tarpon. And the fish looks pretty rough, prompting the first round um, of commenters to ask questions like, well, what's going on? Like, did you find that washed up dead? And so on, right? Because naturally, dude, you throw up a tarpon in Jersey, everyone wants to know the story right now. Oh, yeah. Well, it looks rough because Jake didn't catch it with a hook. He speared it while diving off of the North Jetty in Barnegat Inlet, a place I'm very familiar with. Yeah, that's that's your backyard. Right. So now, I have to give Fisherman's Headquarters some credit because they were very smart. Instead of posting their usual commentary, which would be like, oh, look at so-and-so with these big fluke from whatever party boat, whatever it may be, right, giving props to their anglers, they captioned these photos with nothing but a simple direct quote from Klein himself, which read, if you were fishing in Florida and caught a 40-pound striper, you would have dot, 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 end quote, as if to say, you'd have shot it or kept it. Now, I'll also note that Klein, who I guess can't be more than maybe 25, 26, is also a charter captain per his Instagram page, though, I mean, I've not heard of him. Charter captains pop up every week. There's a new charter captain. So similar to the Black Tip H story, on just on a much more local or maybe regional level, people are flying off the handle over this, right? Like the rod and reel guys are naturally outraged, but even a lot of people, based on the comments from the, the spearfishing community, like, dude, you're you're making this look really bad here, right? You have yeah. you have people commenting like, "Well, now let's see you eat it," you know, one one thousand years of bad karma. Like, people are pissed. Um, and just like the black tip story, fair to point out that you know he did absolutely nothing illegal. He broke no yep. laws by shooting that fish. And as we've said, we always prefer to take our news from some news source rather than just comment on on social media posts and rumblings. So. I grappled with whether or not to bring this one out, but I did my due diligence and I searched like hell to find something more of an official write-up about this. Um, And I could not, right? So what I did was I reached out to a very good friend of mine who works in East Coast Fish Media, who shall remain nameless because we needn't drag anyone else into this. Um, (laughs) But he told me his crew, they debated covering it, but ultimately decided that this kid absolutely took that shot for the attention. And they aren't going to give them any more. So a more official write-up may eventually pop up somewhere. But as of this recording, none of the Northeast fishing media outlets have picked it up. Uh, but we had a nice chat about it, and some interesting points came up. So uh, my buddy says he absolutely would not have taken the shot. I would not have taken that shot. But he said, you know, and, and there's some truth to what he's saying. 25, 30 years ago, before social media, 
this kid would have probably still taken the shot and might have been like lauded as a hero because he broke the longstanding myth about Jersey Tarpon and proved that they're here. And he also pointed out, and I remember this, a few years ago, um, a spear fisherman in Rhode Island shot a big-ass Kubera snapper. And everyone thought that was super cool. Like, nobody gave him a hard time about shooting this rare visitor to the area. Um, but, of course, you can eat those, which makes a whole lot of difference in the spear game. So these are, these are kind of my, like, top-level thoughts on the whole thing. We'll see. I'm curious to hear what you have to say. Um, naturally, I think he should have passed, right? But, again, we live in a world where if it didn't happen on social media, it didn't happen, right? I, I would have come up and said, holy shit, you guys are never going to believe what I saw down there. And without a GoPro on your head to prove it, like either you believe me or you don't, like what are you going to do, right? But I wouldn't have killed the tarpon to prove that it was down there. Um, second, uh, though, a lot of people are suddenly acting like we have an established tarpon fishery in Jersey and this asshole is ruining it. Like I saw several comments that were like, ah, they're already rare and now there's one less. Like, dude, if anyone is catching tarpon here, like has a pattern, they are the most hush-hush angler on the planet and not many of those people exist anymore, okay? Um, but that said, if this kid did this to promote his charter business, my God, if he had caught that on a rod and reel, dude, and like got the pictures and released it, he'd be made. Oh, he'd be a hero. He'd be a hero. And it's a real shame it didn't work out that way. What I would have done, I think, if I were diving and saw that fish, remember, it's on hard structure. It's like hanging out around a particular jetty. Mm-hmm. I would have ran back out there with a boat saying, you know what, man, there's like, at least one, maybe a few tarpon holding on this jetty, and I'd have tried to catch it legit. That's what I would have done. But it's uh, creating quite the little scuttlebutt here. I wouldn't be surprised if it if it grows a little more because it's very recent as at the time we're recording this. Yeah, I, I saw a little bit about this, but I didn't. I didn't. Get oh, into really? It, it made it made it to you. Yeah, I mean, in the general fishing media consciousness, when someone kills a tarpon in Jersey, people are talking about it. Wow. I'm surprised, man, because like I said, I couldn't find it written. I mean, other than forums and Facebook and stuff like that. No, no. I just saw it on social media. Gotcha. That's, that's gotcha. where I saw it. Right. That's not like any anything beyond that. And look, I, I don't have any much to say beyond what you just said, except that whether we're talking about spearing or hunting, any kind of lethal take, you don't shoot anything you're not going to eat. Right. And yeah. to me, that's, that is the kind of, the, the line in the sand I'll draw on that, I guess, is uh, I hope he eats it. <laughs> I really I, do, because otherwise... I, yeah, I mean, I would love to know what happened to it, but I'm guessing it wasn't that. I just I just have a hunch, you know? I, I think you're probably right, but that's that's where I, I land on that. I, I don't think it's ethical to shoot anything. I, I don't even care if... I don't care what you're talking about. Tilapia, right? right. If you're, if you're, if you're going to kill something, eat it. I will say though, like as as the guy who lives here, I mean that sucks that he killed it, but it's also like, damn, he did really exciting. Like, Absolutely, damn, dude caught a tarpon in my backyard. Like that's pretty rad, you know. Yeah. So, um, could that be the only one? Yes. Does it mean like there's schools of tarpon out there? No, it doesn't. But still, it's pretty badass just to know that fish was there. Yeah, that is exciting. And although I will say it's not making me go, you know, my next tarpon trip should be yeah, to Jersey. <laughs> exactly. But that's how people are behaving in the comments. Like we have a good right. thing going here and you're really, I'm like, we don't have anything. <laughs> You've never caught here. one. No one's never, ever caught one. Who has ever caught one? So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. You ever get that feeling you're stuck inside staring at screens and a primal urge kicks in? You crave wide open spaces, fresh air, the chance to connect with the land? Well, maybe it's time to find your own piece of the wild, but searching for property can be a maze. That's where land.com comes in. They got millions of listings across the country, from mountain ranches to hidden fishing holes. Their search tools are like a seasoned guide helping you narrow down what you want. Land.com isn't just about buying and selling. It's about finding a place to hunt, fish, explore, or simply sit by a campfire and listen to the crickets. So head over to land.com today to turn one day into today because trust me there's nothing quite like the feeling of standing on your own piece of earth there's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the sunshine state or any other destination on your fishing bucket list book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids with over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. I don't have a, a, a perfect segue other than talking about eating fish, right? And you're talking about a fish that, that no one eats, and I'm going to be talking about fish that only exist to be eaten. Mm. Earlier this year, the first genetically modified salmon were sent out across the Midwest and East Coast en route to American plates, forks, and stomachs. Aqua Bounty, the company producing the fish, inserts genes from Chinook salmon and ocean pout, which is... A, an eel-like looking fish. Yeah, yeah. Into Atlantic salmon, causing them to produce growth hormones year-round instead of just during the summer. The result is a fish that looks like an Atlantic salmon but can reach maturity in 16 months instead of 36 months while consuming 25% less food. Oh, that's creepy. That's very that's very Soylent Green era. Aqua Bounty has branded their newly created fish Aqua Advantage and just announced plans to open a brand-new large-scale aquaculture facility in Pioneer, Ohio in 2023. The idea for these super salmon has been in the works for, for almost 25 years, but the, the long delay in completion has had far more to do with regulation and fears about potential impacts of genetically modified fish 
than issues with the technology to produce them. The FDA approved the salmon as safe and effective in 2015, but for the last six years, they've been mired in skepticism, bad press, and litigation. Mm. You might remember uh, the, the, all the, the Frankenfish articles that were bouncing around a few years ago. Remember, I do. Remember all that? Yeah. So these are the same fish. Got it. Plus, aquaculture in general has been, uh, shall we say, dealing with some controversy lately with, with the escape mm-hmm. of farmed Atlantic salmon into Puget Sound in 2017 and just a growing concern over the impacts that fish farming can have on water quality and native fish stocks. So Aqua Bounty has had to deal with a combination of public distrust and ongoing lawsuits in order to finally bring their fish to market, but they've done it. The USDA requires food with genetically modified ingredients to be labeled when sold in stores. So you might start seeing Aqua Advantage salmon popping up in your local grocer soon, and it will say that on it. But those requirements don't extend to restaurants or food service operations, which means consumers are already eating these fish without knowing it. Oh, God. We had sushi like the other night, and I ate a mess of salmon. (laughs) Not kidding. (laughs) No, this is perfect, dude, because my knee-jerk initial gut reaction is exactly yours. It's, it's, It's discomfort. It's distrust. It's fear. It's worry, right? Genetically modified fish, Just it just feels like a bad idea. For and and addition to that, for all the reasons we've covered in past episodes of the show, I'm wary of aquaculture generally, and especially when it comes to salmon. But in researching this piece, I came across an article from the Genetic Literacy Project. They are a source that openly advocates for the benefits of genetic modification foods. So you got to consider that they have an inherent bias. Mm-hmm. But the article was very well written, and it brought up a point that has forced me to to examine my thinking. You remember a few months ago, like a month and a half ago, two months, I reported on efforts in Florida to save the, the corals, which are mm-hmm. being wiped out by a yes. bacterial infection called stony coral tissue disease. Yes. One of the primary efforts, you may recall, that researchers are undertaking is to genetically modify corals to be more resistant to bacteria in lab settings and then seed those modified corals back into the ocean. And I applauded that effort. The article about modified salmon brought up those efforts with coral as an example of genetic engineering being used to save oceanic ecosystems. And I had to ask myself, why am I repulsed by altered salmon, but totally supportive of altered coral? Because you don't eat the I mean, the, the obvious... Well, yeah, the obvious answer is that I don't eat coral. But that's not actually true, right? Because coral is the base of many oceanic food chains. So if we put a bunch of modified coral into the ocean, we're still eating it just indirectly. And yeah, I, I'm going to go on from there, right? So that, that just made <laughs> me think a little different. Like, why am I okay with this, but not that? And if you're going to farm salmon, like landlocked pioneer Ohio seems a lot safer than mid-ocean net pens where they can spread disease and toxins into the sea and, and maybe escape. Right, causing significant impacts on wild salmon. Sure. And for if you're like me and you don't know where Pioneer, Ohio is, and you have to look it up, it's in the the, the far northwest corner of the state. It's not adjacent to any of the Great Lakes. I'm still not convinced this is a good idea. And I'm I'm definitely not comfortable with the fact that people are eating these fish without knowing it. But I 
I can't say that I outright condemn the practice. I just, I don't know enough. And I want to look at this logically instead of emotionally. If we, if we actually can raise salmon in Ohio that consume fewer resources and don't pose a threat to wild fish, wouldn't, wouldn't that be a good thing? Yeah. I mean, how, I'm, I'm going to say one more thing and I'm going to let you yeah. jump in. I, I don't know how I can, I can reasonably say I'm, I'm all for genetic modification to save corals, but I'm totally against it when it comes to fish. Because I, I like to think of myself as rational, right? So I think you're rational. If, and if I take another step back, humans have been genetically modifying organisms for millennia. Like, how do you think we got chihuahuas from wolves? That's, mm-hmm. that's what we did. And I just, <laughs> I'm, I'm not rushing out tomorrow and being like, man, I want to get me a big side of aqua advantage. But partially that's because I don't eat farm salmon in, at all. So I'm not I, this I, one. I think I can but I also this can't condemn you. this whole thing. Here, yeah, okay. I think I can I can clear this up for you. And this is just speaking personally. Like I I want to be the person who only eats fish that I caught or I know where it came from, but that is just an impossibility. I don't fish right. enough to do that. I'm not I like I can't I don't make a grocery run out fishing to make sure I have enough XYZ for the year, right? So if I were to go to the grocery store and see this aquaform salmon, I'd be like, ooh, no, I'm not buying a filet of that. But when I'm hangry for a sushi roll, then I don't want to think about what it is. I'm just going to eat it. So it's it, – Yes. Like, yeah, I can sit in and be like, I don't like all this either. But, like, I, I'm not kidding. Like, we ordered sushi the other, uh, we ordered sushi the other night. The place down the street has great salmon. I'm sure it's already farmed salmon. It might not be genetically modified, but I know they ain't serving me wild saltwater caught Alaskan king salmon in there, but nope. it's like out of sight, out of mind. She's like, I want sushi in my belly right now. So I, but if given the choice, like looking at a, at a, um, a seafood market where it's like, here's wild copper river salmon and here's this shit from Ohio. I'm taking the, I'm taking the copper river every day. You know, of course you are, but there are a lot of people who are just looking for the cheapest salmon they can find. Well, uh, and right. is this the question really is, is this change are these genetically modified salmon a net positive or net negative in that bigger picture? Yeah. And I don't know. I get it. I, I, I mean, another thing, too. Right. And this is this is well, it sounds snarky and it is and I don't care. Like my, my thoughts are on, on all these aquaculture deals. It's like um, if you're a person that just likes to eat fish or it's an important part of your diet, you want that for the protein. But like you don't really care, like you just want the fish. Then like you eat that. In other words, I guess I'm saying like I wish like all the people who weren't fishy and like didn't didn't care about whether it was a wild salmon or not. Like that's you guys eat that and just let us catch our own fish. Like that would be fine. Like farm everything you want for like my mom. You know what I mean? Like she doesn't <laughs> care what it, where it. She orders the salmon. She's not worried about it at all. That's perfect. You know. Yeah. And then the handful of us that care, we care. But I I think the handful of us that care. Like, the choices that people who don't care make improve, in, impact all of us. Sure. And so I want to know that they're, that those people who are just buying whatever comes up, I would like to think that we are creating systems that put our fisheries and, and resources at large in less jeopardy as a result of their choices. My choices, I'm already looking at that stuff. Most people are not. Right. And that's who this is for. Right. And and I just am trying to figure out and I don't have this sussed out well enough. My initial reaction is like, ew, genetically modified, bad. 
But as I think it through, maybe, maybe for all the people you're talking about, this is a net positive. Yeah. I mean, I, I honestly feel that the average person, average Joe American doesn't put the thought into this. You go out to a fancy dinner and like there's a salmon special. I've never seen somebody order the the fancy salmon special and be like, this definitely is not wild caught. Like the average person doesn't know, right? Yeah. It's salmon, yes. salmon. Say, so give them that salmon and I'll be like, I don't eat that, but you enjoy. Um, in case the genetically modified salmon uh, backs up the guts, I have a story here that, that might help you out. And boy, this is a fun one. Uh, so there is no denying that natural treatments, right? Alternative medicine, homemade alternatives to chemical heavy products. They're a big thing these days, right? You go on Instagram, you're inundated with this stuff. You know what I'm talking about. It's like, you know, don't, do. don't use Pert Plus. Try this natural shampoo. Don't use real bug dope. Like mix this rutabaga oil with green tea. Um, anyway, I've not bought into any of this. In fact, and this is off topic, but I just because we've 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 talked about nostalgic smells here, I was just thinking last weekend while fishing with my son how the scent of off makes me think mm. of fishing with my grandpa, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I thought of 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 my pop fondly as I instructed my three year old to close his eyes so I could just blast his face with deep woods off. Um, anyway, feel, I feel the tingle in those lips, <laughs> yeah, son. Feel yeah, the yeah. tingle. You, you'll know it's working when you can't feel your lips, bud. <laughs> uh, I digress. Anyway, for kicks, I looked up. Leading uh, natural remedies for constipation. And among many other things, if you're just too healthy for two tabs of colon blow or Miralax, you can try water, prunes, coffee, olive oil, probiotics, Epsom salt, or herbal laxative. Or you could man up and do it like they apparently did in ancient China and jam a live eel right up your ass. Okay. Oh, no. So this story comes from Newsweek, and it begins, take this story as a lesson of what not to do under any circumstances ever. A man in China has been hospitalized after using a live eel, which he inserted up his anus and into his rectum to cure his case of constipation. Oh, my God. Okay. So this man has somehow managed to keep his name out of the story, and good for him. Uh, but but he, he inserted an eight-incher, eight-inch live eel up there, and when it reached his colon, the eel oh. bit the inner lining, oh. made a hole, and ended up swimming around dude's abdomen. Dude. Okay, but this is the insane thing, right? This is the insane thing. That that wasn't the insane thing. I'm gonna I'm gonna make it more insane. Okay, this is not some wacky because I've I've been known to grab these. This is not one. This is not one of those wacky one-off weekly world news stories, right? This has been documented many times and is supposedly a known folk remedy for constipation in Chinese culture. So according to this story, Men's Journal ran a story in 2017 about a man that tried this. And it says, in that case, the 49-year-old man was rushed to the hospital where doctors performed an emergency surgery to remove the eel. When they asked how the eel had gotten into his system, he told them it swam up by itself before eventually confessing (laughs) that he had put it there. The story goes on. In 2020, Fox News reported a similar incident. In that case, the eels tore through the man's intestines, causing a serious infection. And that's per the head of general surgery at the hospital that treated him. Uh, that doctor said, we opened him up and noticed a large amount of fecal water mixed with blood. There was severe swelling, and we found two very... I hope, th- I hope nobody's trying to eat breakfast I right now. I hope they are. I hope you're having a, a, a tuna Subway hoagie <laughs> hope right now. Um, so there was severe swelling and two very thick swamp eels at the bottom of his abdominal cavity. Um and this dude required all kinds of surgery to close up his intestines. So in this recent case, though, 
The man was a, he was apparently racked with abdominal pain, but similar to that other story, too embarrassed to seek medical help. So I guess he finally couldn't take it anymore and he gave in and they performed emergency surgery and the doctor said it was like in the nick of time because there was a bad bacterial infection starting in his abdominal yeah. cavity that probably would have killed him. Like, dude would have ended up biting it. Um, so a couple of just other fun notes. The eel was still alive, which that boggles my mind and speaks to the resilience of eels in general. Because, I mean, dude, your insides are pretty acidic, right? Yeah. Like, that's I, crazy. And that, that's some shit straight out of Aliens with the, the chest is. burster. Like, it's yeah. nuts, right? Um, and I also I cross-referenced this story just to see if there was anything different on the other news sites that, that ran it. And there wasn't. But many of them used a, an image of a moray eel which is even funnier to me, like a big giant green <laughs> moray eel. Um, but, you know, that's, I, think, I think the overriding message there is like, people think eels are, the eels are nasty and eels have teeth and they are yeah. predators. Yes. You know what I mean? It ain't a goldfish, and man. And scavengers. And scavengers. So, again, this was not like a weekly world news deal. Like, this, this seems to have validity that this is, a thing that some ancient grandma was like, ah, oh, your gut's backed up? Let me get you an eel. <laughs> you, know, you know what you need? <laughs> I don't, I'm going to take this in a totally personal direction and oh, say I yeah. used to consider myself not that squeamish. Yeah. But I was quite literally physically twisting around as you told that story. <laughs> oh, I thought that was going to start with this one time in college, but you've it, disappointed us all. I have uh, zero experience <laughs> with... Anals in my anus, um, <laughs> thankfully. But that really did make I, – I, I don't think of myself as squeamish, Joe, but you you did make me twist and turn in my seat throughout that whole story. So congratulations. Yeah, well, well and done. Good. And now you, you now, now, now you know what not to do. Um, and usually after a story like that, I need a drink. So we're going to hear from uh, <laughs> Phil. We're going to say I, hopefully he's even in better spirits than, uh, than last week. We're going to hear from Phil, and then we're uh, going to go drinking, you and me. That's my bar. All right, let's not beat around the bush here. Miles, you win. <laughs> Joe, I'm going to do something that I don't think I've done on the show so far, and uh, I'm going to say that not only does Miles win, but you lose. I wish I could retroactively take away some of your previous wins for sharing the uh, butt eel story. That was unnecessary and, frankly, just rude. And, uh, Miles, sometimes my kid will just start doing really small chores around the house, like pick up a couple of toys in the living room in the name of altruism, but then he'll come to me and ask for a piece of candy. Like he wants a reward. And uh, it kind of reminded me of your guy from your first story. So I think I'm going to get them together, see if I can set up a play date. I'll pick them up a couple of hot and ready's from Little Caesars and they can set records in Fortnite all night long. It'll be great. Best goddamn bartender from Timbuktu to Portland, Maine. Or Portland, Oregon, for that matter. You know, we often struggle with listener names on this show. Like, more yeah. often than not, I feel like we get names that we like, we, we mostly pronounce incorrectly. Butcher them. Um, Some would you say but, we butcher, butcher them. them. We butcher yeah. them. But not this week, okay? This week's That's My Bar nomination comes to us from Justin Contra, which finally gives me license to use this clip. People our age, at least, Ooh, I think will get that. That 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 is a good one. But if we're <laughs> if we're gonna do this, what about this one? 
So that's Street Fighter 2, but what I I don't recall is that Genesis or or Super Nintendo? I don't think that's original NES Street Fighter. I don't know. I just wanted the audio. I just wanted the Haruken. I don't know where that came from. But you pulled the clip. You pulled the clip and you don't even I, know what just, system I it's pulled from? it for the Jesus. I, the Phil's going to Phil's going to come to your house and beat the shit out of you. For right, not knowing. Moving on. <laughs> Enough about our misspent youth. One of us clearly spent more time with the Street Fighter than the other. Uh, the point is that Justin Contra really took our advice to heart. He put some significant thought into describing his favorite bar. I was already curious about fishing some of the water near the spot, but I now know where I will go drinking if I ever get there. This this place is over in, in Joe's part of the world nestled and it's it's like it's right in the middle of that combat great lake salmon steelhead brown mm-hmm. trout scene that i've heard about and that we talk about all the time yeah and and while i've i've spent a ton of time up there i've never been to this bar uh nor have i fished this particular shit show uh but i know people that fish it more so for brown trout than salmon and they, yep. and they either tend to crush it or walk away totally disgusted it's it's mm-hmm. it's usually one of the two all right so here we go justin writes as one pulls into Hojack's pothole-laden gravel lot, the first of several critical decisions is made. <laughs> Do I park next to the self-righteous fly guys whose vehicles are equipped with rod vaults, sim stickers, and Yeti coolers, or the gear junkies with fiberglass spinning rods and frog-tog waders, excellent detail mm-hmm. there, <laughs> hanging out of the rusty pickup bed? Choose wisely. The parking lot is visible from the bar and judgments are made. Upon entering Hojack's, prepare to be ogled, by the old timers who can remember Oak Orchard, or what they call the Oak, before King Salmon runs in droves of anglers that chase them. The decor is that of a typical 1970s towny joint. A few high top tables, a yellowish nicotine patina on the ceiling tiles, and a sticky wooden bar top lets you know you're home. Oh, that's such a good detail. I can almost Beautiful. feel that that sticky bar top. I, I know what I mean. Yep. Like you like you said, I so I've heard whispers at least about the oak but like mm-hmm. you it was always in relation to the brown fishery yeah lake not, runners not they the get salmon, salmon yeah. but it's it's the lake run browns that make it famous yeah yeah that's that's what i know about um and 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 if i were to go there the the browns would interest me more than the kings I, uh, yeah probably. anyway justin continues did i mention the wood paneling the walls are covered with aging fish mounts Polaroid grip and grins of dark kings, and photographic reminders of New York's distant industrial canal past. Over the clinking of glasses and rumbles of the local radio station, one can always hear a cacophony of common phrases like, he was hooked right in the mouth, and they'll definitely take a fly. Sit there long enough, and you'll start muttering those age-old adages too, even if you don't believe them. Now, I... Miles may not have ever fished there, but even I know about the vehement debate over whether or not those salmon actually eat or just get snacked. Yeah, yeah, and there, I, there's a famous meme that makes the rounds every season of a king salmon with arrows just pointing to every part of the body, and every arrow is just captioned mouth. <laughs> like, you've got the real mouth, the belly mouth, the ass mouth. Oh, you've probably oh, seen oh. I'm sure you've seen that. So when I was guiding in Alaska, we used to call that one the south mouth. Like that. Yeah. There you go. You'd, you'd, there you you'd go. have a client yarding in a salmon hooked in the anus, and inevitably some of the one of the guys would turn and say, Oh, would you look at that? <laughs> he hit it so hard he shit it. 
I did. I had a buddy once that hit me up to ask if I could recommend a fly rod that wouldn't break so he could quickly <laughs> drag the ass hook ones in and waste left time between true eaters. And I was like, I'll give you a, a piece of, of, of Calcutta with some guides. I don't know what you want. I, no, um, I know the answer to that question. If you can find a classic uh, Fen glass. Yep. You know what I'm talking about? Yep. A yep. 10 weight Fen glass is almost unbreakable. There you go. There you go. If you're still listening, bud, Miles has your back. Uh, but yeah, but the eating versus snagging debate is perennial with these fish. Anyway, continuing on with Justin's email. Bellying up to the bar, you'll find that the pores are generous, and you don't have to worry about deciding between a hipster microbrew or a fancy fish-themed mixed drink, mostly because there aren't any. Instead, mm. try to earn brownie points with the locals by sticking with something watery in a can to chase a few fingers of wild turkey. You if that. you play it cool, if you play it cool, they might even let you in on that hot color those kings are craving, which has been orange for the last 35 years or so. Banger. <laughs> like, that's... Damn, I love that so much. Mm, just hit you. Ah. Mention you've been struggling to get anything on the stringer, and you'll unanimously be told to just keep adding split shot. This is so accurate, it's frightening. Like, this is great. This is poetry to yep. me, knowing yep. this scene. And and some, some salmon fishing advice is just universal. I don't mm -hmm. care where you are. Anyway, back to Justin. He says, if you're feeling like a classier night out with the old lady, Hojax has you covered there too. Nothing says, I'm sorry you and the kids haven't seen me since the run started in late September, like a dozen wings. <laughs> First smoked and then fried before being drowned in a blueberry bourbon glaze. It mm. is truly something mm. to behold. Mm. But before you get too saucy and complain about that jackass named Diesel, who is tossing a chuck and duck rig at your feet all day, make sure he isn't sitting right behind you. Solid. That's good advice. Solid, solid. And here's Justin's fabulous closing. Next time you find yourself in upstate New York, sore from hucking a rosary bead of split <laughs> shot at lock-jawed mud sharks, wander over to Hojack's Bar and Grill. You won't be disappointed. Just remember they are closed on Sundays unless the fishing or snowmobiling is particularly good. Justin may have just inadvertently given us a great idea for the next bent sticker. A rosary of split shot with like a giant gob of egg yarn mm. where the cross would be. Mm. You let us know, Mud Shark fans, if we should make that because I think it's brilliant. I, I concur. I think we should. And Justin, I, I really do hope I get to drink. And more importantly than drinking, I hope I get at some of those wings. Mm. At Hojack someday, because smoked then fried is is the only way to go. Even if even if I didn't fish, even if I just sat out the craziness, I I could easily spend a day sitting on the sidelines and just watching this whole thing yep. play out. Yep, you uh, could. And and everyone else out there, follow Justin's lead because that that Bravo. my friends, Bravo, is how you nominate a bar. If uh, if you've got a fishy dive you think deserves some love, let us know with an email to bent at themeateater.com. Straight up, if you want to see a new sticker design, new bent sticker with with split shot rosary beads and like a yarny cross holler out. I, I, I want one. If enough of you, and I don't know what that number is, okay, but if enough <laughs> of you want them, we might get them made and make them public. Or we could one-up it and be like, if we hit five stars on Apple in the reviews by, <laughs> nobody will ever get them. So we won't do that to you, but... <laughs> And if, if that doesn't happen, we'll just make them for ourselves and oh, maybe for Justin. Totally. Thanks, yeah. Justin. 
because I would slap that sticker on my egg box in a heartbeat. Yeah, I would. Same here. That. Same here. And like while tying up a slinky rig for mud sharks might sound complicated and time consuming, uh, it doesn't have to be. It does not. Demoralizing, maybe, but it does not have to be complicated. <laughs> That's right. In fact, uh, you know, everyone thinks you got to know like 89 different complicated knots to be a good angler. But another one of my good buddies, Joe D. Mulderis, frequent uh, guest here, would disagree. And Joe D. owns Whitetail Country Fly Shop on the Upper Delaware River in Pennsylvania and is also uh, another poster child for proud East Coast angling. Joe's here to close out the show with Tackle Hacks this week about the only three knots you really need to know. I'm getting hacked. Coming from inside the city. Fight the planet! So here comes another one from our Cross Current Guide Service uh, Guide Shack session. Sitting here with my uh, good friend, Joe D. Mulderis. How goes it? Good. How you doing, Joe? I'm, I'm very good. I'm very good. Uh, good to be hanging out here, as always. So uh, you've got a lot of experience in guiding a very long time, seen a lot of things and a lot of stuff, and I have learned much from you over the years. Well, I am a better fly fisherman because I know you. Well, that is actually very flattering. <laughs> no, serious. I'm well, serious. I'm, it really uh, yeah. is. Because you, like, you were not like some jamoke when you first showed up, so... Yeah, <laughs> you know, I mean, you're talented. Yeah, I feel like a jamoke. I, I consider you know? myself a jamoke. Anyway, so this is tackle hacks. So, um, man, impart some uh, some of that knowledge on us, and uh, give us a little something something that will make all the listeners out there better anglers. So, uh, I've told this a lot of people a lot of times, especially you know with, with beginners when I'm teaching them. Everybody gets like wound up in. Not literally, but wound no up. No pun intended. Right, in no knots. Pun, knots. <laughs> um, but people get, they do, they get all wound up and want to learn all these different knots, right? All these crazy knots. And people ask, you know, oh, yeah, do you use the FG knot? Do you use this knot? You know, yeah, yeah, it's great. Everything's cool. But you know what? Learn how to tie three good first. Okay. All right? Learn three knots. Listen uh, up here, because here they come. And this we, is the three. If, this you, the if three, you can man, tie you want, these. You want to learn how to tie a good loop knot, a good non-slip loop. Uh, whether preach. It's, preach. Right? Whether it's just your regular old. You know, if it doesn't have a, a, a split ring, I loop knot it. Yeah, Lure or fly. Right. So, Preach, brother. So learn a good loop knot. All right. And which would you recommend? I just, I don't even know the name of it. It's just called a non slip loop. Okay. That's also it, like right? the rapala knot, kind yeah, of the same yeah, thing. Yeah, something like okay. that. And then, like, uh, or you can do a perfection loop will do it too. Okay. Right. So, learn a perfection loop. Learn a good tippet to leader knot. Okay. All right. Like, I like blood knots. I think they're cool. I think surgeon knots are like, for people who just don't want to learn how to tie a blood knot, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, but there, there is a jam knot, right? So they jam against each other. Yeah. They're not a bite, not biting. Right, into the material. blood so knots bite. Yeah, right. a lot so of people do the uni to uni knot splice, uni knots which I think too. is great for but, thicker lines and salt and, water and right. stuff. And it's good for braid and stuff like that. Fishing, but we're, we're, we're talking fly fishing, blood. right? With we're we're talking fly fishing. So I, this is me, a loop knot, a blood knot, and a fly to tippet knot. Now. A clinch knot or improved clinch, very strong knot, a lot of applications. But, you know, like if you're coming from the bass fishing world and you don't mind using like an extra two feet of tippet, tie a palomar. I don't really care. Okay. But learn that knot well. Tie a knot, three knots well. All right? So don't fret like, oh, I got to learn how to tie a bimini, but you can't even tie a clinch knot, you know? <laughs> so don't worry about the bimini because the time you're going to need it, you're going to probably be with some guide or you're going to be in a fly shop. Yeah, you I want a bimini it. loop to put your fly line on, have the dude there do it because you're going to do it once a year and you're going to do it lousy once a year.
Well, that's it for this week. But if you are a serious angler living on the East Coast and considering moving away to find better fishing, Joe's given you some food for thought today. <laughs> First, the entire western part of the U.S. will soon be a biblical desert of burning bushes where no fish can ever survive again. <laughs> Pristine mountain streams are great and all, but good cannolis are better. Yes. The best wings on the planet can be found out there and make a fantastic capper to a day of chasing mud sharks and dodging split shot. And neither driving across the country or learning more knots will help you catch more fish. You'll suck just as much as you did back home. <laughs> That you will. That you will. And while you're reveling in your close-to-home fishing, tell us about it. Send your bar nominations, awkward photos, sailbin items, new leads, and pedigree puppies to bent at com. Keep throwing down the Degenerate Angler and Bent podcast hashtags, and maybe, just maybe, you'll get a split-shot rosary bead sticker in the mail someday, mm. if mm. that actually gets made. Or just keep praying to the gods of spawned-out salmon and pellet trout. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. Hey, we're going to take a little break here and talk about interstate batteries. Now, if you're like me, enjoying the great outdoors, you need gear that is as reliable as it gets. That's why I power my adventures with interstate batteries. I use interstate batteries in my boats. I use interstate batteries in my camper. Great for your truck, too. From Alaska to Montana, they're outrageously dependable. Battery is essential. With over 150,000 dealer locations, finding one is easy. For all your vehicles, land or sea, choose Interstate. Head to interstatebatteries.com and find your power today.